Hey girl, hey! Welcome to the Pride edition of the Buddhist Recovery Network podcast. This year, we planned a juicy panel to share with you, featuring some of your favorite queers in recovery. We have Ajoku, Cliff, Amanda, and myself, Valentine, exploring the topic of sex and relationships. This will be the gayest recovery podcast you listen to all week. It'll at least be the gayest Buddhist recovery podcast you listen to all week. Hopefully. Maybe. Maybe there's other really good ones out there. I don't know. But before we get started, let me remind everyone about our live podcast coming up the first Sunday of July, July 5th. It'll be taking place at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. UK time. If you came last month expecting Kevin Griffin, I do apologize. We did decide to hold a meditation for the community instead of having a talk. We appreciate everyone who came and sat with Robin. She was so happy to hold space for so many wonderful people in the BRN community. But in July, we will in fact be having Kevin Griffin, author of many Buddhist recovery books, including One Breath at a Time, Burning Desire, and Living Kindness. So mark your calendar, Sunday, July 5th, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. UK. Okay, happy Pride! Have a good one! Hello! My name is Valentine. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I identify as queer, identify as genderqueer, um, non-binary. I also identify as gay. I still kind of like the term gay. It's fun. I also identify as lesbian, too. Maybe I just use them all, but uh, yeah. So that um, And then for recovery programs, I am in Tempest Sobriety School, and I am also a part of Recovery Dharma. I'm Cliff. My pronouns are he, him. I um, am a, I identify as gay and queer, uh, kind of depending on the day and where I'm, where my fluidity is flowing and uh, the community that I'm expressing that with. Um, and I'm primarily involved with uh, Recovery Dharma. Hi, I'm Amanda, and I use she, her pronouns. I identify as queer and also gender nonconforming or fluid. And the recovery modality that is home for me is Tempest. All right. Hey, what's up? Uh, my name is Ojoku. O is probably what I respond to the most. Um, identify as gay and queer. Um, I am trying queer on. It's it's screwing with my friends. Uh, I use he, him pronouns, uh, and I am in <clears throat> recovery dharma uh, and finding, I guess, more... Uh, added practice, uh, both in discipline and reading and, uh, and having to review material, uh, through the eight step, uh, recovery program, but I only have like the ebook. So 
I think that still makes you a solid member. (laughs) (laughs) Who would like to go first for this one? All right, I got it. Um, I am going to, I guess, because dating and sex um, just stood out to me. And uh, as I hear uh, the rest of us up in my brain, you know, running that word around and looking for uh, the files where I've had my hurt and my triumphs and whatnot. Um, mostly I look at dating and sex in, in the light of, I guess, being able to offer myself to uh, different people in different spaces and to different degrees, but there um, becomes problematic issues as far as I am concerned. Uh, one, because... Uh, The nuance of dating, like I'm 31 years old. Um, I have plenty of friends who are in open relationships, polyamorous relationships. And uh, while culturally speaking, like polygamy uh, in the Yoruba context is understood to me, um, it lives in a completely different uh, cultural and religious, like, you know, temperament. So like, it's not a good viewpoint. that being said, uh, on the sex topic, so I am constantly having to reevaluate uh, my my initial like uh, response to someone I feel is attractive, because I understand, you know, from like the visual aspect, I'm looking and experiencing with my eyes. The hormones are going on. There's a percentage of objectification, but I take that to a place where it doesn't need to go because there's other things that go on with me that I need to deal with. Um, And even in the acts of sex, like, am I having healthy sex? And not necessarily like a question of, um, am I wearing condoms? Are we getting tested? No, like, am I actually able to like enter into this space and be one-on-one? Not on anything uh, drug or drinking wise. So like being present for sex is, it's a completely different animal. Um, and I also feel like I want to be able to offer myself in a way that, uh, I feel comfortable. So learning to, uh, and I guess this goes with dating too, learning to, um, express my boundaries and not necessarily wanting to compromise because, oh, well, he's into this and if I don't do this and he's going to find somebody else to do it. Well, I mean, that other person was there already. So, you know. Just because they they might even even do it together, they might do it with other people and not even consider all of that. Um, and dating more specifically, uh, uh, maybe it's me. Um, I'm seeing a lot of my friends who uh, get into relationships at 31. Uh, not that we're settling, but like I understand that like the the thrill of a new person um, may wear off. I am a guy. I look. You know, people working out, getting ready for that summer body. And not that I, again, am like really worried about like wandering eyes for myself so much as like, am I in a place to be constantly like uh, instilling into me and putting into me and that I can offer that to somebody else and where there's things that are making me uncomfortable, um, things that come up from my past. Am I identifying that in myself and then going to this person saying, hey, this thing that we did, you did, I did, blah, blah, blah. It's making me uncomfortable. It's all my crap. I have to deal with it. And I'm not having this conversation to make you feel bad. I'm just letting you know if we're doing this thing, I'd like for you to understand now that when you see 
Ojoku, like, you know, begin to pull back. I'm not retreating from you so much as my ducks got to get in a row or at least all in one pond. Other than that, um, I mean, oh, um, yeah, one one more thing that uh, I had to catch myself on. So I guess in a lot of so there's only a couple like Buddhist uh uh, temples or like meditation centers that are up here. And it's been, it's been really interesting to watch how, uh, I guess the idea of dating and the question of sex or sexual attraction or sexual relationships within the gay, uh, community is received in places, uh, for example, um, like where I go to temple. Um, I grew up in church, so I know unless you're of a particular denomination or your pastor parson has like made it clear that they're open to that dynamic in their, their homebody. I am equally having to be uh, uh, respectful and mindful of the fact that um, while I do not believe that there's anything uh, canon wise that the Buddha or uh, any particular Dharma teaching says is against homosexuality. Um, it's kind of hard to nail the Dalai Lama down on that question um, as many Many a blogger has tried, but you know, equally finding confidence to be able to express myself um, with people who <clears throat> the temple I go to is mostly Cambodian and uh, Thai people. So culturally, it's very different. The Westerners that are there, we tend to have that kind of dynamic, but um, there also seems to be this kind of push of like, oh, well, you need to get away from Christian Judeo-Christian norms about relationships and sex. You know, if you want to be in a polyamorous relationship, there's nothing wrong with that. Can all be healthy? Okay, but then, you know, that's a completely different door to open for me. And so while I feel that um, anything that we do uh, for ourselves and with others, I guess, is a question of like how we enter into that space and how we define ourselves in it um, and what boundaries that we are, <clears throat> uh, are, are not drawing. Um, and by not drawing them or not drawing them clearly, I am teaching people how to treat me. And that's a really, really hard, you know, lesson to learn because like boundaries, I thought was like, no, don't do that. As opposed to, no, this is what I'm standing on. You're either with it or you're not. Nice. But other than that, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ajokyo. There's so much in that. And uh, what I really loved, uh, one of the things I loved about what you shared is this idea of showing up in a healthy way, a healthy presence, healthy sexuality sexual expression. And I think when it comes to being able to be vulnerable in that way, that that's where uh, some addictions, alcohol, drugs can seem like a way to enter into relationship more easily. But then once I'm in, it actually sort of does a turnabout. And then I'm actually not able to show up. I'm not able to judge if it actually is a healthy way that I'm showing up. Is the other person uh, showing up in a healthy way? And uh, I think that's one of the the sort of falsehoods that comes with this idea that I can take a social lubricant, uh, my, uh, my drug of choice is alcohol and, uh, to, to use that to smooth over some of that initial, uh, anxiety, some of that initial, um, hesitation to get into relationship. And then it also serves to cloud my judgment around what type of relationship am I getting into? whether it's a, a casual uh, connection or whether it's a longer term, uh, and that can just continue to, to unroll and unfold, cause confusion. Mm. 
I love that idea of clarity that you brought oh, around that. Do you want to say more, Cliff? Um, well, I guess as I looked down at my uh, sheet, I saw sex, and I thought, oh yeah, well, sober sex is a thing. You know that that uh, I know. I know for me, <laughs> I know for me as I went from uh, as I was in uh, that transitional phase from uh, from using to recovery that like uh, crossing over that vulnerability edge to show up. Uh, sober and to have sex sober to engage with another person again I, I think oh, it goes back to what uh, you're talking about that idea of showing up healthy and whole uh, and open uh, without any uh, filters uh, of, uh, of substances that are getting in the way of that and that creates both this point or uh, this sort of edge that comes up that I can choose to stay with and cross uh, and enter into a deeper, more intimate, real relationship, whatever that is. Um, it's not always uh, rainbows and, and unicorns, but uh, I'm present for it and sober for it and can see and make, make choices about that. And I think that's all I have at this point. Ojoko, I also love how you closed with the boundaries is not just the nose, but where I'm standing. Um, and I mean, for me, well, I've been alcohol free for about six and a half months, which in some way is very early <laughs> uh, sobriety. Um, and part of, for me, recovery, uh, recovering from or recovering my relationship uh, with alcohol is very deeply tied with recovering my sexuality. And even in just these six months, the parts of myself that, and the formation of me uh, that I've been able to access because of being sober has revealed so much more to me about how alcohol became a coping mechanism um, to avoid, I guess, or yeah, to avoid the feelings around my queerness um, that were very much shaped, you know, in early childhood by family of origin. Um, Ojoka, you also, you know, mentioned church culture and of course, just wider society. So for me, it was, I actually, I want to give a shout out to Cheche Luna, who is also queer and sober. And I was doing a, a sexuality, one-to-one sensuality coaching with her. And partway, maybe about a month into that three-month relationship process, I knew that if alcohol was still on the table, I was going to keep, there were ways I would keep avoiding recovering my sexuality and cultivating the intimacy with myself that I needed to do. And so actually that I'm still very much in like an early relationship with my own self in committing to my desires, <laughs> finding out what they are. Um, yeah. And, and devoting time to them. 
which is really hard. It's much easier for me to another um, sort of another coping coping mechanism for me was overworking. And so just, you know, reorienting my time and energy and attention toward my desires, sexual and otherwise. It sounds fun, but it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and with relationships, I'm in a long-term, coming up on 10 years uh, in a relationship and I married to a cis man. And so that has, you know, my queerness has, could be not visible in a way to a lot of people and like moving to a new city and into a community that didn't know me as queer. Um, of course, you know, I've connected with um, queer individuals and starting to build queer community here, but really that, that has come with connecting with sober individuals and starting to build sober community. I love Amanda, where you're pointing to, if I could just jump in that um, idea that if alcohol is still on the table and it made me realize that, you know, for me, alcohol was the relationship when it was, when I was in it, I would, uh, I would drink and I would hook up, I would drink and I would go out. And when it, it, the, the primary relationship became the alcohol and, uh, and I too, uh, some of that numbing that, that goes through in relationships is, uh, I too, I was um, using and numbing out for you know, a really long time in my life and came out very late in life and uh, was married uh, cis women before. Uh, and it was easy to to kind of hide underneath that or not be seen in that way. And that courageousness to come forward, which is that queer energy, which is that queer birthright to uh, stand out in that courage and feel what that feels like. Uh, which is a high unto itself to be sober, to feel that full expression of, of queerness um, that really re resonates. So I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, can I stab at one thing? Cause I'm gonna forget it here in a minute. So um, <clears throat> Amanda, when you were talking about uh, your relationship and who uh, your relationship partner uh, is and how that um, in ways um, operatively, uh, you know, the optics of seeing you uh, with a, cisgendered man um can instantly i guess like be like oh okay well this is clearly you know these perceptions that we make um at surface levels but even then uh i would like to say uh that a lot of me not even like recovering uh my sexuality but even going forward and embracing my queerness is because a lot of uh my relationships and by extension um my sexual relationships later on in life were built on this idea of passing. Um, for me, it was never a question of where I was going to be, where it wasn't allowed, so much as that how much energy do I have to piece out either on that particular day or either that particular part of the day um, to keep up a false narrative. Now, as a kid, it was survival mechanisms. Um, I came out to my parents like when I was like 14 or 15, but all like up until that point, uh, you know, they used to sell this magazine, it's called Men's Workout. Um, it was the gayest health magazine, but it really wasn't like they just sold a bunch of cheap porn in the back. And 
Uh, I'm 31, so I was old enough to be a teenager when they still had party lines and all this other stuff. So my introduction to like being attracted to men uh, was basically me walking down, catching my bus, going down to going back home because I had a key. My parents got home later than I did. I stopped at the corner store. Um, the Indian guy that ran it never read anything. Like I think he knew what Playboy was, but anything else, like he just didn't know and had no interest in it. So I knew that I was safe buying this one magazine. I was going to put it in my backpack like no one was going to see it. Um, but yeah, uh, Sunday mornings, I would be going to church, which meant uh, as I got older, um, well, are you going to be dating somebody or, you know, this girl likes you. And it was a small community. Um, and it was also uh, a lot of a lot of Nigerians, a lot of Yoruba people there. So I could go back to the home country and get me a wife right out the bush. There was always this pressure um, to maintain a narrative when the truth of the matter is. I, I couldn't even say it's none of your business because I am someone's child. I have to go to church like y'all make the rules because I don't pay rent. But what I really wanted to say to them. I was like, well, first of all, all you straight people need to be worried about your relationships. Like, why are you worried about me? It's odd that complete strangers, we go to the same church, I get that, but why are you asking me about who I'm dating? What is this interest in my normative aspects and communication and, uh, 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 and movement within the straight society? Like, don't you have other things to do? But um, those were determinative aspects. I had pretty much assumed, I had pretty much assumed that, uh, at some point I was gonna get found out and whether my parents kicked me out, whether I got beat up uh, at school or on the block, whether I got murdered, whether, you know, like I, I was convinced that like I might live till 35, just might live till 35 because everything I've been told about gay people was they die of AIDS, they this, they that, they're constantly in the news, leave trans women alone, they're out to here fooling men and when they get shot, it's just part of it. So these were the aspects of it. Um, then I did something really stupid. I wanted to prove how much a man I was and joined the military right out of high school. So, you know, daddy issues. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely uh, in this short amount of time, like been like pulling at me to see how, like where all these things connect and like how this actually goes back to uh, the system that was set up to make me a better person as opposed to being me. So, you know. <sighs> okay, I can, I'll, I'll go. I'm like, I don't know why I'm suddenly feeling a little shy about talking about the subject. I was like so excited about it. And then I'm like, what do I even have to say? <laughs> <laughs> like dating and relationships sober was interesting for me. I think my recovery looks a little different than a lot of people's. I think everyone though, everyone's recovery looks different from each other's, but I kind of started a recovery when I was 18. I started like mental health recovery. I started recovering from trauma. And in that time I, I did a lot of work on relationships and on sexuality. That was before addiction took over when I fell into addiction and, and then came out of it. It was very confusing for me because yes, I had done all this work in the past on relationships and sexuality on myself. When I went back out to start dating in sobriety, I thought that I'd just be right there because I'm like, Oh, I've dated sober. I've been in relationships sober. So it was like a weird mixed bag. It was like, I was, 
comfortable to start dating right away. But then I also found that there were there were things like that that had been affected by addiction. Yeah, I was I definitely had a hedonistic focus in addiction with my sexuality and also a lot of time spent alone being too really just like too fucked up to really be in relationship for a while. And so my relationships to porn um, had changed and my relationship to porn had always been, I don't know, had never been something I felt like I needed to question and never really got in the way of anything. And now in sobriety, I'm like, Oh, I kind of went down a rabbit hole in addiction with, with porn and but I still, it's like hard to separate like where the positive relationships I've had with certain things is with the negative. It's almost like, cause they're, they're, they're mixed together and I have to like separate them to like look at them. And that's, it's kind of hard. I can have a hard time with that. I've always, ever since I started dating young, I've been polyamorous, I had like one serious boyfriend and cheated on him and didn't feel and like was like wait this doesn't feel like cheating this feels like what I need and so after that I started identifying as poly and researching polyamory and that's always kind of looked more like an open relationship I haven't really had like two loves at the same time but I've always had open relationships so that carried on to my sobriety but it's weird because I'm like in an open relationship that looks very much like a monogamous relationship (laughs) and I don't know I'm like is that is that how it's going to be or is that just how it is right now? I'm also in a smaller town, so I don't really have as much of a pool to date. There's not a lot of people around me that I'm just like meeting and flirting with. So, I mean, that's how it was in Seattle. I feel like there was just a plethora of men to date at all times. It's kind of nice to like have a slowed down dating life. I get to really focus on my partner a lot and our relationship is just fucking... It's just so gentle and sweet, and I really like that. I'm dating, like, the kindest person I've ever met, so. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He's also really hot. Like, that's really important, too. He's just, he's really hot, but, like, also really nice. It's like, whoa. I had to move to Olympia, Washington to find this person. It's weird. But I still, like, dream of this life where, like, sexuality is a plethora again for me. But when I've engaged in hookups, I find... That's not what I'm looking for right now. Like, I think it is. I think it's what I'm looking for. And then I'm like, oh, no, I like I I would prefer like intimate relationships. Maybe some like people that I actually went like went on a date. Like, I don't need much, but like, you know, some conversation before the sex would be preferred, you know, just to know if there's like any kind of spark. But with hookups, it's and that's really hookups is all I really find these days. It's It's just. I don't find myself getting comfortable enough to enjoy the experience. And then the experience is over and I'm like, why'd I, why'd I do that? I mean, there's been a couple, I've had a couple hookups in the last year or so that were, I don't know, some, they were somewhat pleasing, but I'm, I'm just coming to terms with like, okay, I do want to express myself in my open relationship, but I'm like trying to find ways to express that. And also in a way that doesn't feel like problematic behavior. Cause there's been times when I feel hooked by, grinder or by scruff and like spending all this energy on there looking for something and then and then I decide I don't want it after I spent all this fucking energy on there and I'm like (laughs) I'm like this this feels this feels reminiscent of like when I spent a lot of energy intoxicated really um so it's like it's like separating like my needs from my wants and separating like problematic behavior from like natural healthy sexual behavior 
Um, and that's like an ongoing process. I think there's that, um, there's always that uh, sex and intimacy. You can have, uh, you can mm. have intimacy without sex, but you can't have sex without intimacy. But there's this, what happens, you know, before the sex, what happens after the sex. And I think for those of us that may be a little bit more fluid or a little bit more um, experienced, perhaps across different types of relationships, that we do long for that. Um, you know, we're all longing for that connection, that belonging. And what can seem so easy, which may be a hookup, um, there again comes that edge of how do I actually show up in a healthy way? Uh, how do I not? Um, oh, you mentioned, you know, your first ex exposure to uh, sex in the magazines and uh, sort of that furtive experience. Um, you know, we, we are often taught, particularly gay cis men, that uh, sex and intimacy uh, are not connected that they're, they're two different things. We don't, we don't draw that bridge or create that bridge between the two. Uh, that's not modeled in, uh, in queer relationships mm. for us. So, uh, so we don't know that um, unless we've had some other experience, some other training. So I think that that, you know, uh, what you point to, Valentine, about that, you know, how, how do I get that? You know, it's not always just about the sex I want. You know, I'd like a conversation. I'd like to connect with a person in another way. Yeah, and I, I definitely identify... Oh, with uh, the first experience being pornography, you know, of like expressing your sexuality. And that was like, I, I still remember very vividly, like I was, so I used to download ROMs and emulators, you know, like, like <laughs> Nintendo on my computer. and I was on, oh God. on some like ROM and emulator site and there was this little ad in the corner and it was like a, it was a cartoon with like a giant dick. And I was just, I was very drawn to that penis. And I was like, what? And so I clicked it and it went to porn. And I don't remember what porn it was, but that very, that, that started me up like being like, oh, this is what I want to look at. And it was definitely men with men. Um, and that, so that was the first way I expressed my, sexuality and i feel like it still is a way that i express my sexuality and it being tied to childhood and my first expressions of sexuality i don't feel like i have this like deep spiritual connection now to pornography I, yeah i definitely i definitely feel that and um uh for any of you out there in podcast land uh who, who may um have not thought about this in a while. Like it, it, it surprises me as I was thinking about it because I remember specifically that it was watching, um, like watching gay porn and seeing gay porn that like I found out how like gay sex worked, right? Like in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I, I've grown up like you know in, in most like like in most instances, you know, uh, um, seventh grade, eighth grade. If you've not heard like dirty jokes or whatever, at some point in gym class, you will, you're going to see a vagina, you're going to see a breast, you're going to see a penis, you're going to see some, uh, some scrub, whatever, fine. Um, but like watching porn and then seeing what these two guys were doing to each other, like shocked me. Like, I'm like, I don't want to be gay. If this is what we have to do, I don't want to do it. Like I went and, and <laughs> because in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, all right. Um, he's doing that. Is that all they do? 
And then like in another one, like the guy was screaming and he was hitting him. I had no concept of like what BDSM was. Like I, like through television, through conversations that like you hear adults having, like, you know, he's into that rough stuff. Like, well, right, rough stuff. I just imagine that, you know, like, like I hear the people that are uh, uh, above me um, in my old apartment, like, you know, the bed would just be like going on the time. But then to see like some of the violent, um, punitive, some of the uh, humiliating aspects of where sexual fantasy could take you. I can see now in my adult life, like how, uh, you know, how like I, if adult me could go back and be like, hey, hey, I know, I, I get it. I get it. It's creepy. It's gross. Don't ever do that. Like you're going to need, there, there's not even an insurance policy for what he's doing, but just chill out, figure yourself out. Um, because there was an aspect of shame to it. Uh, you know, having to hide the magazines, having to hide this. And I'm not, and I was not about to buy a Playboy just so I could put dudes on the inside of it. Like, I'm not that dedicated. That's, I'm just, I'm not. But um, yeah. And even, and even then, uh, having that aspect of my sexuality, like, not necessarily makes sense. Um, I think in a lot of ways, it also kind of established what were heteronormative role parallels um that early early gay and queer people kind of like had to i guess model after just to get by and seeing how that exists in 2020 you know i i love i absolutely love seeing somebody in high heels pumps whatever it is pads and duct tape because you're you're still saving up for the surgery while you're changing attire Right. Like because in my mind, I'm thinking, OK, the lived example of your gender expression and how that may or may not necessarily relate to your sexual identity. And if that does, you know, hit one point one and point two, how that actually plays or may not play into your sexual dynamic with your partner and or partners. Like that's that's not for me to classify, but it is interesting to see how all of that work can be embodied in somebody who may or may not have just shaved legs, armpits or nothing being French about it you know, in what we consider uh, women's clothes changing attire. Because instantly you're thinking, uh, a lot of people are like, oh my God, there's a man in a dress changing attire. And in my mind, I'm thinking, somebody's in pumps changing attire. Like I'm all on the ground getting dirty and whatnot, and you are maintaining balance. Like, good on you. Amanda, did you want to follow up? I haven't heard from you in a second. Mm, well, I mean, my my... I also had childhood encounters with porn that were formative, and but they they were surprising and didn't. Yeah, they were definitely formative in terms of. Well, I think they they were early influencers on how I was supposed to look and perform, you know, and the shame was really embedded in that because you know it was a friend's dad's. Playboys that she had found that were supposed to be hidden. And assuming they were supposed to be hidden from her, they were supposed to be hidden from his his spouse, his wife, that we weren't supposed to be looking at them. So there was a lot of, I mean, maybe there was some excitement in that, but um, so shame was was wrapped up very early. And one one thing tied for me too with sobriety from alcohol is financial sobriety. And so like starting to really look at my finances and be sober in my financial life. And 
I liked in a, in kind of a microcosm, I quit like once my Amazon prime <clears throat> renewal time came up, I did not renew. And I used that $120 to make a subscription to pink label TV, which is a feminist porn site. So that, you know, it feels like, again, like where I'm at, where I'm investing my time and energy and now and also money in terms of recovering desire and make creating new narratives, you know, but unwind unwinding the old ones. And new images and new practices and new new ways of relating with people. Yeah, and the, int the intimacy part is huge. Mm. I use alcohol more to avoid feelings than to chase feelings. And one of the feelings I was avoiding was intimacy. It was a super uncomfortable feeling for me to feel is intimacy, even though there I do have a longing for it. I've noticed that when I experience it, I kind of want to run <laughs> afterward. And so learning to stay in that that intimacy and I feel like I I am just on the tip of an iceberg in terms of what's available if I if I'm stay willing to stay and to keep like digging through the layers and going deeper with it. And I porn is part of that process for sure, but it has to be the right porn for me, right? Otherwise, it's it just reinforces the stuff that made me want to run in the first place. I guess the uh, the only thing that I might add is that, uh, and I think Amanda, this was uh, <clears throat> something I picked up from what you were saying. The idea that you know, there, the porn has the risk of being something that is only shameful, that it is only uh, something that uh, is um, well shameful. It's not uh, not accepted and should not be done, and um, you know, sort of the 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 maturation. Oh, when you talk about your younger experiences that as we get older, I know certainly for me coming out late, there was some of that when I was watching gay porn that was like, what they're doing that until I started to be like, Oh, well, what they're doing that. Um, that's interesting. That's where my desire is following. That helps me to clarify my desire and where I want to be going. Um, not so much use it, um, as a, addictive quality or compulsive quality, but to be able to use it to refine my desires. What is it that I am interested in? What, what is it that does turn me on? Uh, and how do I then go about finding that in a healthy way? And learning about myself. This is a weird, uh, muscle to flex after all this living I've done. Um, it's 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 almost like in a lot of ways like re-examining my sex life, um, dating, and relationships. Uh, I'm not sure if you're going to cut this out, and I'm not necessarily sure I'm going to tell this particular person to listen. But there's somebody like I'm I'm keen on. We'll, we'll call it that. I'm keen on this person. Um, he's older than me. Uh, I have a lot to learn from him in the ways that he is able to communicate um, what things are for him and how they have been 
but then equally have that, but then equally like tie at the very end of that conversation. He's like, but you know, uh, like for example, we were talking about polyamory uh, or open relationship. I've heard so many different de definitions. Um, you ask each couple, well, I mean, it's not cheating as long as like he doesn't, whatever, whatever person you bring over, like doesn't use my bathroom. Like some people, like you, you can do them all over the house, record it, like send it to me. But if he uses my bathroom, it's over. Cool. But that particular <laughs> relationship dynamic has been communicated to that particular instance to where even if like someone were to, cause I guess like an out would be like, yeah, I told him to go to the bathroom and then he went down the hall and. I don't know. Uh, he got turned around. So like, even if there was like a mistake, like there's, there's, there's even the potential for that to be resolved given what parameters were set beforehand. So here I am like, you know, really keen on this guy. Cause I want to jump all the way into the relationship. Like we need to be house married in Canada you know, screw all this up. Cause my, my, the people in my brain want to make this thing like actually happen. And then, you know, we've been around each other. It's been a lot of fun. It's been frustrating. It's been, it's been very relevatory both for me and for how I view other people. Um, but to have like polyamory come up, you know, as a, as a concept of him, like, and the way that he feels about his relationship dynamics and where he is in life, uh, I like my response, cause he asked me, he's like, well, how do you feel about that? And I was like, well, let me be very clear. I understand this again, culturally from a different aspect, but if you're talking about how I feel about it, I've had people try and put me in a in an open relationship because they've cheated and they can't stop cheating. And they pretty much figured out, I'm always going to figure out that you're cheating. Um, you know, so I guess we can try an open relationship and whatnot, but then I go and do what I'm supposed to do. And that turns into an issue. Um, I could have just left. Like I'm arguing about the nature of a relationship and what definitions, but you, you, I'm not being treated well. That we're making concessions into areas where I'm uncomfortable because you want to do what you want to do. But then this is also me coming off the end of, uh, you know, somewhat being disowned. Um, when I told, I think I told a cousin that I got engaged to my former fiance who told it to another cousin who told it to another cousin who emailed it. And I think somebody else aimed it. Uh, and then, you know, my, it got back to my mom and I just got this, I, I got ranted over and then I come home, found out I got cheated on. And then we're having a conversation about, you know, uh, polyamory. And I'm like, oh, uh, no, I, I don't. I do not have the time or the capacity to deal with any of this. And now that there's someone that I'm keen on who's bringing up, you know, an old wound, because I never no, in no way, shape or form, if I'm not in an open relationship, do I need to say the words or even think about it in any like real respect? So, you know, it was interesting that for him to say that, and then I'm back to a conversation with my mom and getting cheated on all at the same time. You know, it's, it's funny. And like you had said, uh, uh, Cliff, you know, being able to um, walk in and be present for those instances and not even, I guess, like to be in a state of readiness, but that, you know, these things are, these are the things that are coming up. Like I'm getting to know a new person. If you're anything like me, you're not necessarily sure what you're going to get to know or what I have to say about it. So, you know, if I, if I can claim that truth for me, I definitely have to be able to give that to somebody else. But being able to receive that, because um, I, I, I'll be quiet, but my face will tell you exactly what I'm thinking. And that's just, that's pettiness, that's passive aggressive. I'm not trying to get wrinkles for sure. So, you know, I'd, I'd rather, I'd rather like accept it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll sit with it later. I have to sit before I go to bed. And then another day, you know, later on, I can have this conversation. You know, I don't need uh, the impulse aspect to control or, 
to substantiate, I guess, some form of authority or or uh, traditional values that the minute the person I like is talking about somebody else, I got to freak out. Knowing good and well, I want uh, maybe half of the Avengers to like be my third and 15th husbands and whatnot. Because superpowers, you know. One of the things I love that uh, you brought up, O, is that our, how we start to trade away our in our boundaries, how, we're, how uh, we trade away in our relationships and how, uh, for me at least, it was so much easier to do that or so much, uh, I was so much more willing to do that, trade away myself uh, when, I was, uh, when I was using, when I was drinking and just not aware of it uh, for myself that, hey, I'm not being treated well and, uh, and, I'll, and I'll tolerate that more when I'm numbed out, when I'm not, um, when I'm not clear. Not in the, uh, Amanda, what you had said earlier too, like your sense of self, you're finding your sense of self. Um, just that, that question of honoring myself, honoring the, uh, the sacred sacredness of, of the self in me. Well, and then Cliff, that makes me turn back to when you were saying that your relationship was with alcohol. You know, and that the now the the relationship is with me first, right? Yeah, that's right. It is. It is like a. It is an awakening. It is a reawakening, uh, coming back to self, you know, coming back to breath, coming back to self. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that quite that in that way before. Of coming back to self, that the you know the practice is to return gently again and again to breath, to turn, return again and again to that place. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I'm the oldest person on this podcast. So I've had a very long relationship with alcohol and the relationship of returning again to myself in different, in different ways, um, in different periods of sobriety. And I see that now with your comment, Amanda, in that sense of it is this returning to self. It is this coming back until I can finally stay with myself. And it's taken me a long time to be able to do that. But then I see that the relationship is with me. That reminds me of a quote that I really like, and I'm going to try to find it really fast. Um, I think I put it on. Oh, yeah. Um, Addiction is when you fall in love with a drug instead of a child or a lover. And the learning that takes part in that part of the brain is designed by evolution to get us to persist despite negative consequences to do what we need to do. Because I don't know anybody who could survive a relationship or parenting if not for the ability to persist despite negative consequences. The problem is when that gets misdirected to a drug, and then you can find yourself to some very negative and potentially deadly situations. That's why uh, I can't. I Maya, I think is how you say her name, um, the author of the book Unbroken Brain. But I like the idea of, I like, I, I relate to that idea. Some people I've read this to were like, Mm-mm, I'm not into that, but I definitely relate to the idea of like having this like relationship, this like love. I feel like I hear it every time someone says is remembering when they did not think that they could, it, it was scary. The idea of living life without alcohol or living life without the drug. Like, I mean, I had to let go of benzos and, 
uh, Adderall and like the idea of like getting by without these things that I had this intense relationship with. It was like, it was like breaking up, but I didn't want to break up. You know, I just wanted to fix our relationship. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to make it work. (laughs) I have a friend who, uh, um, is also sober and he says, uh, you know, everything that we do sober is heroic, <laughs> no matter how big or how small it's heroic. I fucking love that. Yeah. I come back to it again and again. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I think, I think one of the, so I, uh, I went into treatment, um, uh, when I, I, well, let me not say that because that's not necessarily true. So, like, I was uh, doing what most uh, addicts do, um, went to a different city, different state to get away from some things. Uh, well, was on my way somewhere else, got caught up in Kentucky. Uh, I had thought I had, like, you know, ducked a couple consequences, but, you know, some things just came up and I was, like, out on the street. And so I was doing uh, my normal thing, you know, discounting it. And I'll figure this out. I got this. I got this. This pep top I'm having is like I'm wearing like holes in the back of my shoes, which were too small for that point. Um, But then when I finally got into treatment, like something occurred to me like halfway through. I'm like, damn, I can't smoke weed no more. And then it was really me having to consider like, okay, so my ritual for Thanksgiving, you know, because we're we're we're. I'm always, I've always been like a helper in my family. It's kind of the way to keep eyeballs off of you. Um, so for the, for everybody who smoked weed, uh, we go and help grandma do this or whatever. Um, if it was a cultural holiday or American cultural holiday and whatnot, religious holiday, blah, blah, blah. We knew that we were going to eat. So all the kids that, you know, smoke, we would all get together. One of us had a car. They always had to show up. Um, and we'd go do what we need to do. And we always ask, Hey, is there something we forgot? My auntie always forgot something. Paper plates when it was an excuse to go down to the dollar store. It's already rolled. We're not going to be gone too long. We, we've got this, right? Come back, drops in the eyes because food is always better after you're high, right? And just thinking about it, like as I'm sitting in this, uh, this common room writing out, you know, uh, I think I was like working on my fourth step at the time. Um, and I'm like, oh God, like I've got to get, like I've got to give up weed. Bob Marley started playing in the back of my head. I was like, I'm losing a fundamental aspect of the nature that defines me as an African-American male. Bullshit. Like absolute bullshit. But you know, it's so like, so this romantic ideology that I have with weed, um, I, I, to this day promote uh, medical, you know, know, medical marijuana and its legalization, not necessarily recreational because anyway, but uh, (laughs) Um, yeah, like in, in so much as that this thing does not necessarily play out for me very well. Um, uh, I also have like thalassemia and, uh, some other like anemic issues. It is possible that like when I'm an old, bitter, dried up Vipassana teacher, you know, somewhere like in Berkeley, cause I've, I, I don't know, I don't know, Berkeley, I want to be old in Berkeley, but yeah, like I might need like a CBD or THC derivative. But even then, like, you know, uh, I'll, I'll have I'll have more going on with my body at that point than like smoking weed 
won't necessarily have the therapeutic or medical benefit <laughs> of what a derivative put into pill form that I went to my doctor to make sure that my, lev- my liver is okay. Like, you know, the weed is the weed. THC is the THC. The benefit I get is determined on how I'm able to use it and embody it. And then even then, will I have the fourth width and honesty as an old whatever all those things that I said I was going to be in Berkeley, like, you know, to go to my doctor and be like, hey, yeah, this is fun, but, you know, eh, now I'm eating more. Like, will I have the discipline to be able to say that? And it's way, way off, but it's funny to think that, like, the attachment can, uh, can like, hinder me from doing something the right way and that's actually benefiting me because I'm so in love with the attachment that I have with it. And... Uh, Mm, if I had a dollar for every time I did something even remotely close to that, would not be here. I definitely have a different experience with marijuana than I do with alcohol in terms of like how I like alcohol. I'm just like, it's pointless. It's a poison. We use it to sterilize things. It like it causes cancer. It's like rocket fuel. Like, why would we put it into our bodies? Why is our society really selling it so intensely as like this normal, healthy thing to do. Um, But then when I think of like marijuana, I'm like, okay, like it's so much safer. It's like, no, like I don't, I can't fuck with marijuana, but, um, but I don't know, but I don't, I, it seems like it has purpose. It has like medicinal properties, you know, same with like psychedelics and stuff. Like I know that I can't, I personally can't fuck with them. Like I, I I tried my last, like, one of my last slips was, I was like, oh, well, I can do psychedelics. But no, like, that was all tied to alcohol with me. But um, but when I think about society as a whole using them, I think that they have so much healing that they could help. Can our society move away from things like alcohol? Well, yeah, that, that Tempest thing, or from Holly Whitaker, the, like, what, just knowing what you can fuck with and what you can't fuck with, and that, like, we are the ones who know. Right. And like not someone else can there's not another person who can answer that for us. And so like the responsibility is with me to be honest with myself about that. And weed has been one of the the things for me because I can fuck with it. It hasn't fucked with me. It hasn't I haven't had negative consequences. I rarely, even when I have access to it and it's readily available I rarely use it it's just not one of the I enjoy it but it's genuinely a thing I can take or leave and after quitting alcohol I did smoke a couple of times and then since August it's just it's been this kind of curious it's been a curiosity about what if what if I just don't what if I spend a year you know or what if I spend my whole life without changing my state with any substance at all, even the ones that I quote unquote can fuck with or that don't don't cause quote unquote problems for me. So it's been a it's been an internal dialogue that's emerged even recently, you know, just being in in a context that that brought it back up again and what I hear and what you were saying, Ojoko, about like the future, like will my future self, like how will my future self be? But can I, so where I am now is, 
can I be building the relationship with myself now so that in the like I, I just have it set up that I'm making decisions in my best interest. Yeah. And I think um, and just to hit on this, because the more and more I'm having uh, nuanced and, and very like vulnerable and honest conversations um, with the uh, the wide world of recovery. And in particular, when it comes to like insight practice, whether or not it's like actually Buddhist based or referred to, some people just want to draw it all out because they think it's, you know, going to throw some people off. Cool. Um, to hear people say uh, who, who in their, in their life in sobriety um, now, like I may or may not have met them uh, the first, you know, couple relapses or whatnot in AA and then they say like, oh, well, actually, I'm an addict and that's why it didn't work out for me. So then and they're in N.A. And well, I mean, you know, I'm, I, I didn't really like narcotics. So that's why I joined C.A. And I'm like, OK, well, I'm not because I understood how that conversation was becoming a thing where like you go to your friends, you have a relapse, they get their white chip, you all go out to dinner and like an old time would be like, OK, well, what happened? What went wrong? And in my mind, I'm thinking. There is absolutely no way that a person who just stopped doing drugs and just had the fortitude to tell you that they were doing drugs to get to the point where they're able to like, like you're asking them some, you know, some four step stuff as far as identification on that issue. And it was frustrating. And I realized that I didn't need to necessarily get frustrated because uh, like I recognize that the form of the question was wrong for me and how it can be tripping, like tripping up people who. I don't care if you had like 20 years and you got like real good and high for three, you had yourself a minor reset and not the factory one. That being said, you know, like discovering and like embodying, uh, you know, points of where like, you know, my bad behaviors or my impulses take like take over is something that I have to investigate. And part of that I found was, uh, you know, having to be faced with some decisions where like there was something that I had to do to not do something really stupid. Like, check it out. This is my treatment record from all the PTSD from these two deployments I did killing brown people with a different guy because they got brown stuff in the ground that ruins like the atmosphere, right? Um, I was in Chicago. Uh, at that point, like I was, Mm, getting into, you know, uh, uh, refuge recovery as it was then. Um, and that was, was available to me. Um, I was on the South side of Chicago. All the meetings were on the North side and I was having this like, it's not a flashback. I was having this aggravated sense of not being able to be in control. Um, I was a little tripped out because I was on the South side and not recognizing like where I was. I knew the street that I was on. But I didn't know, you know, because I don't live in Chicago. I just like stayed up there a couple summers. I think I know some shit. So I'm getting lost and walking around in circles. And my cousin's like, man, you need to calm down. I was like, man, you know, like I just need to get to this place. He goes here. He offers it to me. And I'm like, I smell it. It's good. He doesn't smoke crap. But I'm like, hmm. Does it really make sense for me to like tell myself in where I'm having to deal with the issue of being in a new place, um, I want to go to school. I want to travel. So, like, these are things that I'm going to have to learn how to deal with. Um, really want to go to Thailand. Do not get caught with weed in Thailand. Do not. Don't get caught with anything in Thailand. I'm just saying. But, uh, yeah, like, so I'm like, all right, here's the instance. 
I recognize that at, at other points, if not later today, tomorrow, or a year from now, this instance in principle is going to show up. Am I going to take care of future me now when weed is not necessarily available um, to do my insight practice, just, you know, the one pointness of breath? And again, I do not flex this muscle. I am constantly readjusting, adapting, and overcoming because I'm an addict. And while I will admit it to the people I'm smoking with, I got to put on a face for everybody else. So looking at the time. Yeah, yeah it's just too much. I love that we spent like the whole time talking about sex and relationships. Um, <laughs> it, like gives me a lot of information for like planning future podcasts and like how many topics are realistic. <laughs> so would we like to maybe go around and kind of say each say like a closing kind of statement about the topics that we've talked about today? Sure. Sounds good. Okay. I can go. I haven't talked in a second. Um, oh, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> now the pressure's on. <laughs> well, just thinking back to everything we've been talking about, sex, dating, and relationships, and just hearing everybody's stories and everyone's like differences and similarities, it just it I'm just very much connecting to the 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 fact that it's like this is an ongoing thing. This like our relationships to sex and our relationships to people as we leave our relationships to substances and and that I don't know, I think that we're gonna continually be surprised and confused. And I think people probably that, you know, don't have to get sober or whatever, or don't get sober or, you know, have the same, same relationship with relationships, you know, it's like, we're going to keep learning and growing and changing. That's not my closing <laughs> statement. Like that cannot, that's... <laughs> I love where you're going. (laughs) (laughs) I need food or something. Do you mind if I pick up right on the end of that one? Because a lot of what I'm hearing and a lot of what's like looking back, because I'm taking notes. I'm sorry, nerd 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 and plus i yeah plus i killed brain cells like i want to want to remember a lot of this but um i I'm, i'm going back to what cliff said like being able to enter into um you know uh whether it's a dating context um whether it's a short term long term and actually having the conversation inside you know to be like is this something short term because we can sit across from the table from each other and I'm looking at your biceps and I don't know, you're, you're what I don't go on days. What's wrong with me? Yeah. Like I'm looking at some dude and I'm thinking, yeah, this is going to work out. And then I'm thinking, all right, well, um, cool. I know better. Let me peel away like the superficial aspects of it. You know, the, the physical aspects of it, like what is sitting across from me because it's a human being. Um, this man is somebody's son, you know, somebody's brother, potentially all this, like there's, 
there's things that this person needs in life that I am not going to be able to give to them, even though all the hall, like the Hallmark cards that I'm going to get in for Valentine's Day seems to suggest otherwise. Um, romantic romance, I think, is absolutely beautiful. It gets me into trouble. I can't not fuck with it, but I need to be careful with it because um, I will romance myself into bullshit. Um, I will overlook things. Uh, you know, I will make accommodations that turn into, uh, you know, me compromising both for myself. And one of the things that I love uh, that I hear, um, particularly in a Buddhist context in recovery, is that any harm that I'm doing to anybody else, I'm first doing to my to and through myself. And so, like, I am the only person that I am going to have to account for and the, and the type of person that I've been towards other people. So still me. Um, I'm not responsible for the, for the me that lives in other people's heads. I inform that person. So am I doing the me in somebody else's heads any favor? Now, the, the me that exists in someone's head that they don't like because I'm black, because I'm gay, because I'm black and gay. And let me tell you, living in Louisville, Kentucky, I've been called faggot. I've been called nigger. I've yet to be called nigger faggot, but I'm pretty sure if I just go south of Shively, I will be. Or a Trump rally, whatever's going on. So, like, um, <laughs> approaching, approaching the relationships that I have where I'm having to tell someone, you know, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling kind of off or this is just something that can't go on with me. I've, I've put so much dope, I've put so many drugs, so many lies and excuses on top of it that even coming to the, you know, that even coming to someone and being like, hey, I need a minute. Not, a, not an I need a minute to do this. Like, no, I just need a minute. It's my minute anyway. And I'm just letting you know that it's really, really mine. And then within that minute, I've calmed down and whatnot. More often than not, the people who recognize that when I need to take a minute are like, hey, I'm really glad that you take this minute because you will go off. And like when I go home and my friends see me, like who, who is this person? Why? Like, don't you want to set things on fire? I'm like, sure, I want to set things on fire, but no. The impulse has gone nowhere. I just know what to do with it now. Um, but yeah, uh, also, and I'll say it this way. I think a lot of times I tend to have um, distrust and, uh, and resentment towards the gay community because they didn't like the way that I looked or I didn't get to date the person that I wanted to and this and this and that. And, one of the things that I've been telling one of my friends lately, I said, I said look, homie, because he's dating now. I was like, listen, um, you need to accept the fact that I, like a lot of other people, went through a lot of trauma being a homosexual, especially the 1988 version of the crap on the brown side of the train tracks. Like the stuff I went through was, was determinedly unhealthy. I'm 31 years old right now learning how to get through these processes. I can stop myself from like causing a scene. But that is not true necessarily of the people at the bar. But why would that be? They're there to drink. What they're, they're drinking away from is none of my business. I do not want to objectify or make myself seem better than or other than, you know, you queers that are out there drinking and drugging. Get off the pipe and find Jesus. Like, no, no. Someone has been yelling at you your entire life. Um, you know, it, like you, you, you can get away from that. There's a, there's a light post uh, down down the street from me and on the, and the top sticker it says um if you're on meth we know and it's one of those things where they're trying to call out people that are on meth thinking no i'm not on meth you know like all that other stuff you know because we can tell especially if you've been on meth you can tell so somebody else put a sticker right beneath it 
And so now it says, if I you're on that. meth, we can tell that you need love, patience, kindness, understanding, and opportunity to figure. Now I have no idea who put it up, right? And I was ready to tear, I was ready to tear that thing off because it's like, you're talking about me. Potentially you're talking about me if I quit doing what I'm doing, nice. but then somebody out of the blue, I don't know who they are and I really don't even want to know. I want to let this piece of humanity, because they put up a really nice sticker to go net. They, they positioned it to make it seem like all uniform and all of that. Ah, uh, right. I kind of want to put a whole bunch of them up just to be sure that everybody who is or has been or is thinking about being on meth can see them just because this continuation has been awesome. Pretty sure they're Buddhist. I'm hoping that that's a Buddhist thing, or at least they do Vipassana. That's all I'm gonna say. Um, one thing you said, you talked about the the having a grudge against the gay community, and that yeah, that definitely made me think of something that I did want to bring up that has been an experience for me in sobriety. Because um, I as I've moved away from the gay community and like, it's almost like I'm breaking up with a gay community in a way. Um, I, I guess, well, I mean, okay, I'll start when I was younger. I, my Enneagram was like type four and I was very focused on like not being like everybody else. And I, you know, I kind of, I definitely judged the like gay community, um, I remember just like hating Britney Spears and just like hating the, like the mainstream idea of what it meant to be gay. Um, but then eventually I worked, I like found myself in gay spaces that where I could be found attractive. And it was like this little queer hipster scene in Seattle. Um, and so I almost, it was like, I, it was like, I went from, learning to express myself how I wanted to express myself to learning how to express myself to in a way that would enable me to have more sex and get more attention. Like I was still expressing myself, not necessarily in a mainstream way, but it was definitely directed at a community of people that would find me attractive and have sex with me. Um, And in sobriety, I, have found the courage to break away from that um, to start to express myself in ways that I know that on grinder or scruff people will be like, Oh no, you like dye your hair pink, like block because that's the femme phobia that exists. Like, you know, I, so as I've moved away from, identifying as just being gay and moved into expressing my um, myself as non-binary and wearing earrings and, you know, just finding, finding fun ways that feel like me where I can express my femininity um, without, like, I still, I will still though, like revert back to like, Oh, I got to put these, like these somewhat mask photos on grinder and scruff just so I can get some attention and then maybe put, like a let a little bit of my femininity out on there so they're not so surprised and i think i don't know so i it's it's like annoying weird and confusing but i definitely feel like i'm moving in the direction of just breaking up with the gay community altogether but i mean still but i still feel like they're my family they're still they're like a sibling like gay the gay community is my like there's my siblings and 
Um, and I, I mean, I still don't know what the future will look like with this progression. Um, I don't know if I'll mostly date other people that identify as queer, but like, that's still like hard to access, you know? Um, especially if you're not in a bigger city and, um, so I don't know. So that's been, that's been pretty really relevant for me. And like, I think also being in a relationship with my partner, uh, has been really helpful uh, for myself and being able to exp- like express myself in these ways because I'm not needing to always search for, you know, new people to find me attractive or I'm not like, I'm not still dating. And, I, and you know, I remember early on him, like I was wearing some like really femme leggings and he thought they were really hot. And I was like, I was like kind of confused that I was allowed to just be kind of femme around this like, you know, I don't know, attractive man. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, I mean, this is, and this is my longest relationship, like ever, like I'm, we're going on two years. So I'm, I don't know, I'm finding some things that, I don't know, I'm learning that long, long-term relationships can be helpful in some ways. <laughs> There's a bit of a, uh, some like safety and stability in them that I am appreciating. Um, yeah. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Ajaku. And it's time. Yeah, being in a relationship and in a like hetero appearing relationship has been super hard <laughs> for me, not for my partner. Like, so to be like, to be loved as I am and not because I'm performing how I think I should be or because I'm whatever, you know, not because I'm doing something along the lines of how I think I should be doing things, but genuinely because of who I am is hard. It's a really a mind fuck. (laughs) And it's, it's a challenge to it's challenged me to work on self-acceptance, like to, to be accepted in the and loved and desired in the leggings and to be surprised, <laughs> right? Like, wait, you love this shit? You're attracted to this shit? What? Um, yeah, it's weird. And I feel super fortunate that that, you know, like some part of me chose really, really, really well in in that some part of me was willing to heal that um by putting myself in a relationship with this person and it's you know you were you're talking about closing statements and it's just it i really feel like we're just getting started and i want to keep listening (laughs) um so i don't have i i don't have a closing statement except i'm piecing together the coming to self, returning to self, returning to the breath, staying instead of running or escaping and with kindness, like that, you know, I'm so happy Valentine that to hear you say your partner is hot and the kindest and like, 
yeah, those things can actually go together. And so the the returning to self with um with the gentleness and kindness, the way like to give ourselves those stickers, the way that they were offered on that post, right? Because some part of the mind's going to be like, I see you, and call our our hurt selves out, or call call our call ourselves that are reaching um, for something harmful, like to call it out, to do the disciplinary yeah. thing. But then if we can just like add dozens of the stickers of like, I see you needing love. Like I see you as the beautiful fucking creature you are. Let's do that. Because when, when we, and to reiterate, oh, what you said, like, because, yeah, the, the, the hard, the, the harsh things, but also the gentle things, because when we do that ourselves, do it with others and the other way around, let's keep doing that. Yeah, I, I forget who, I forget who had said it, um, Cliff, that might belong to you too, but it's realizing like the undivided nature of what is and is not like a thing. Um, I do not have uh, a coming out story that is beautiful. Um, I'm adopted. My biological mother was 15 year old, was 15 years old, forced to prostitution and on crack. Um, like I have, like I have the great, like 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 the first couple paragraphs on, on the Wikipedia page that I'm never gonna write. Like is either gonna be the greatest stand up special in the world or like a or like a romantic tragedy. And because I've given myself those two spectrums, I want to define it as that. But the truth of the matter is I run back and forth either way. Like I because I didn't get to kick off my drug career. Somebody did it for me. So I'm like, well, you, you know, I'm I'm one of those people that's uh, what does AA say about it? Uh, incapable or, you know, physically or mentally incapable of blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, I have an excuse. I'm a crack baby. Like they did a whole thing on CNN about me. Didn't you see it? Cool. But um, didn't like crack, got into other stuff. And then now it becomes a question of, okay, um, there's some shit I have absolutely no business doing. Uh, now that I've stopped doing that, what am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be doing sets up the, what do I want to do? And the, what do I want to do is, oh crap, now I'm back to the seven-year-old mindset again. Like, cause I don't play like, day to day like i have to go to work and two jobs and this and that so nothing about like the creative aspects of my mind even actually get to work and when i did work them it was because i was trying to get something out of you or something around you or something behind you. like i've used all the creative motions and uh, you know in parts of my brain to you know sustain a lie that now when i want to go and write poetry yeah I, I started writing poetry again somebody cried and then they come to me like oh my god your poem make me cry and i'm like why why was it bad <laughs> Like, what the fuck is going on? Do I need means the poem? You give me your number. We're going to figure this out. People are going to react to poetry in different ways. Something I write that's supposed to make people like happy will probably make somebody sad. It is not my responsibility. Um, but my closing statement will be this. I have given so much time, energy um, to keeping everybody away from including me, because I was not taught to love me. I was taught to conform to a standard that would either inspire love or at a minimum demand respect. 
Now, if you've done any type of drugs for any length of time, addicted or not, you know that, that, that those two statements are not true. Um, that being said, the work it's going to take and the things that it's going to, and the things that I need to do to become a better me, we're always in here. I've just never been taught how to use what's already here to be a better person right here. And it's free. Like, I ain't got to sign up for college. There is no, no waiting period. There's no financial aid. I ain't got to fill out a FAFSA. You know, it's it's me learning me. It's beautiful. Uh, so much wisdom. And Amanda, I agree. I think we're, uh, you know, this is a till next time uh, statement, maybe not a conclusion statement because we've, uh, there's so much richness in this. Uh, oh, your story about the uh, the sticker on the telephone pole uh, and somebody's willingness to stay with. You know, the ability to say, we see that and we know that you need love. Is For me, it speaks about staying with and your story about staying with yourself, uh, which comes back to this relationship theme again and again. And it makes me see that my relationship with alcohol is also mirrored in a lot of the relationships that I had during that time. Uh, Valentine, something that we were saying about trying to, you know, trying to make that breakup work, trying to make that uh, broken relationship work. Um, and that was mirrored in so many uh, of my, my relationships. I read uh, a quote that said, if something is broken to begin with, you can never fix it. If something is whole and then it becomes broken, you might be able to fix it or you can fix it. And it occurred to me listening to you all speak that relationships with substances, relationships, uh, addictive relationships uh, are broken from the start. They, they can't be fixed, although we desperately try to uh, try to unlock that. Um, and the courage to come back and just stay with ourselves is, um, is so powerful and taps into that queer courage and that queer energy uh, which is so bold and which is so such an amazing experience to uh, wear the leggings to be seen, to own my sexuality be seen, to be in my desire healthily and to be seen So, I look forward to future conversations with you all and thank you for today Hi, I'm Vimla Sara, President of the Buddhist Recovery Network. Our mission is to help promote the use of Buddhist teachings and practices to help people recover from the suffering caused by addictive and or compulsive behaviors. Our organization is a volunteer-run nonprofit which has expenses. We offer free monthly live teachings on the Academy free resources on our website, and all our podcasts are free. We also organize a bi-yearly summit where many of us come together. We rely on the generosity of you, our listeners, and our interviewees in order to produce these offerings. We are asking you to donate to help with our expenses. Thank you. And to show our gratitude for your support, all Patreon supporters will receive access to special guided meditations. To unlock these, please offer your support by going to patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network.
again. Patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network. Thank you so much for your generosity. May all beings be free from the roots and the causes of suffering. May all beings be at peace.